0: Being. Uh, pour a little bit of liquid and blow up a science lab. <laughs> Toxic gas going down the hallway. Just one little act that, that snowballs, it that ripples, and blows up an entire chemistry lab. Have you ever done something like that? If you're a student, don't confess it here. Uh, maybe you've gotten away with it, so don't confess it here. But maybe, maybe you were pulling a thread on a sweater one day, just a small, innocent thing, and a minute later you're still pulling and the sweater's unraveling. Maybe you've done that. The ripple effect was there. Or maybe there was once a day, and I'm not saying today, but once in your life like mine, you told this one small little lie, and it was just a small thing, but it generated a second lie and a third lie, and it just snowballed and rippled way out of proportion. Maybe, maybe you've done that. We're going to look at, at one seemingly small, simple act that began to ripple and became a tsunami that actually rages today. That's where we're headed today. Take us back. Let me give us a, a summary of where we're coming from. This is the third week in this series in the beginning. I've said that there are, these, there are these four great themes in the opening chapters of Genesis, chapters 1 through 3. And I've said it gives us the window into all of the rest of the Bible. It's this gateway to all of the Bible. And so we began talking about the themes, and the first great theme is the one of creation. We said that God created everything. He created every single thing. He created you and me. And everything is known perfectly by Him, and everything rightly belongs to him. And everything was good. This creation, everything he created was good. And then there's this second theme of, of Adam and Eve where he, he began creating humanity. He creates the first man and the very first woman. And, and he creates them in his image. And, and they are the only ones. In fact, humanity, we are the only ones that are said to be created in God's image. So, so his creation of them and of us was a was special creation. We today, we sit here, we are a special creation. And to them, he was their purpose giver, and he was their provider, and he was their protector. He was all of that for them. And he put them in this garden called Eden that was paradise. Everything was perfect in this garden. The relationship with, between them and him was perfected. It was intimate. The, the relationship between husband and wife was simply, purely love to the point of just simply oneness. Every single need provided the theme of Adam and Eve and it was God's doing it was all good it was all perfect so today we roll to the third main theme that opens up in these chapters it's the theme of the fall now up to this point in time there'd been no sadness no sorrow no pain nor death now there's this theme of the fall that opens up and and I wanted to take us back just very briefly to chapter 2 of Genesis to verses 15 to 17 to set the stage that follows in Genesis 3. It says the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God is telling Adam in this entire garden of Eden, there's this there's this one tree in the middle of it. Among all the trees, there this one tree in the middle of it. And he said, don't, don't eat this fruit because it will kill you. He was being the protector, wasn't he? He was just simply warning Adam, and Eve would come along soon after, and the warning would be passed on to her as well. And, and God was simply saying, in this garden, I've given you this perfection here, and we have no idea how many fruit trees there were, but the image is there were a ton of them. Every provision given, he says... You have access to everything. There's only one restriction upon your entire life. Just don't eat the fruit from this tree, because if you do it, it will kill you. He was being the protector. It was grace, it was kindness saying that. Anything else. It'd be like if you're a parent, and I know you would never do this, but if you're a parent, it'd be like you taking your child to this massive, all time great candy store that had 10,000 different kinds of candy. And you said to your child, you would never do this, said to your child, you can eat all that you want except one. There's one kind you can't eat because it'll kill you, but there are 9,999 more. Have a way. Have your way at it. You know, have at it. That, that's the setting. That's what God has done. He's just warned Adam of all of this wonder, of all this beauty, of all that's yours. There's only one thing that you can't do. Why? Because it would, it would kill you. I found myself thinking... About that, um, In chapter 3, it says that this one tree was very beautiful. It says the fruit looked really delicious on it. And I began to realize that Adam would have had no idea of the danger and the damage and the cost of that one fruit tree if God hadn't pointed it out to him. And I began to make the correlation to my life, and, and, to, your, me, and to yours as well, is, is I don't intuitively recognize a lot of sin. And, and you don't either. I don't know uh, if and when I would have recognized that, that envy was a sin or that jealousy was a sin or that gossip was a sin or that lust was a sin or that pride was I don't know when, if ever, I would have recognized that. And it's true of you as well it, that on our own, intuitively, we don't recognize a whole lot of sin. So we have to depend upon God to identify it for us. Just like he did for Adam Back in chapter 2, we have, to, we have to count on God to identify it for us. The only way we can learn what it is and, and be wary of it, avoid it, is for God to tell us, which he's done completely in Scripture itself, in his word itself. So, so that sets us up to go into Genesis 3, chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. So it says it's a serpent, and if you read on through Scripture, it's crystal clear. This is Satan who is speaking to her, and just to give you a little background about Satan, Satan was, was created by God as an angel. In God's creation, he created humankind, he created animals, plants, all that. He also created a different life form called angels, and Satan was one of those. In fact, Scripture says he was the most magnificent of the angels, and angels... Similar to human beings, God gave free will. God has given free will to them. And so a day came when, when Satan, his name was Lucifer an angel, when Satan decided he would go against God's will. He, he decided he would try to become God. He, he, would, he had the freedom to obey or freedom to rebel, and he chose to rebel. And then he brought a third of the angels with him into rebellion. They were created good. They were created good. And then they rebelled. And so God sent them to the planet. So this is Satan now in the garden speaking to Eve. And, and he says to her, he twists God's word. He says, did God really say? Did he really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? It's not what God said. There's just one that God said you can't eat. It'll kill you. But he twists the word of God, which Satan so often does. So this is the response that follows. Eve says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Well, I look back up at what God had actually said, and it becomes clear that Eve isn't really exactly sure what God said about that. She's kind of sure, but she doesn't really get the details down. And this is a big deal. It's not like she needs to memorize the names of all the animals, which Adam's given to the animals, and if she doesn't, well, so what? This is a big deal. If she doesn't get this one thing right, it's life and death, and, and she hasn't really nailed what God said. And <laughs> to be honest, it may be Adam's fault. <laughs> uh, you'll enjoy this, women, but, but God actually gave the command to Adam And so Adam probably passed it on to Eve, and Adam may have messed it up. Maybe Adam didn't really pay quite enough attention, because when I read Eve's words, she's quoting God, and she says that God said that we're not to eat it or even touch it. God said nothing about touching it. She's kind of just ad-libbing. I kind of think this is what God said. And then she said, or you will die. And actually, she left out an important word of God. God said, you are sure to die. Not probably, not maybe, not a good chance, not 99.9. It is a certainty, woman. It's a certainty, man. You will die. And it made me think about how crucial it is for me and for you to actually deeply, carefully study the Word of God. Don't be satisfied with kind of getting it, but to press in and press on to really understand what God says. This is what works for me. I know there are times that you and I need to read um, extended amounts of Scripture to get the big story, to get the arc of the story. And so every three or four years, I will, I'll take a year and I'll start in Genesis 1, now read a chapter, two or three or four or five or six a day. I'm getting the big story. I need that every now and then to put it all together. But when I'm in that year, I, I miss the details. There's not time to pause and think and ponder and deeply understand. So all of the other years, and they're the years that I love most about it, I just, I start with a verse, and I try to absorb it and get, understand it, and I go to the next, the next, the next, until I think, okay, my, my head's full, my heart's full. But, but you and I have to take advantage that God wrote us a book, and the book is, has great clarity in it. We need to really study and really know what God says, not just be kind of close, but really know what God says. So Eve has responded, and she doesn't quite get it right, verses four and five. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. He's saying, no, no, Uh, you're not going to die if you eat this fruit. In fact, the deal is, is that God understands if you eat this fruit, you'll no longer have to be under God. You'll become God yourself. The, The bottom line, woman, is that God's holding out on you. All this time you thought he had your best in mind, all this time you thought you could trust him, follow what he said, you'd find the best life. And he's been lying all this time. He's been holding out, woman. There's a better life for you. All you have to do is just pick that one piece of fruit, eat that one piece of fruit, and you'll be like, God, you don't have to answer to him anymore. You're going to find this better life. You're going to find this better life. And his theme line, the whole theme of this is, God is holding out on you. It's no wonder Jesus would call him the father of lies, the father of lies. So verses six and seven, the woman was convinced she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So Eve is listening to Satan, and he, and he says, God's been holding out on you. Actually, life could be a whole lot better than it is. And I've, I've often thought about that. This, this lady is in paradise. She's in the Garden of Eden. She has this perfect, unbroken, intimate relationship with the God of the universe. He walks and talks with her and Adam in the garden and she has this perfect relationship with her husband that is nothing but pure, absolute love and to the point of oneness among them. And she lives in this garden where there is no pain and no sorrow and no suffering and no loss and there's no death. And she lives in a garden where everything is provided for her and so someone comes and shows up and says, it can be better than this, and she falls for it. And then I think about all the times I've fallen for the same lie there's something I know that God said not to do, and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, oh, I, think, I really think my life would be a little bit better. It'd be okay to go there. What's the big deal? I, I don't, I'm not sure if I actually say this to myself, but I begin to think, you know, God doesn't really, really have the best for me. Maybe most of it, but right here, right here, this looks like the best. I think I'm going to chase this right here. And I've fallen for the lie too. And so have you. Every single person that's breathed has fallen for the lie. It could be better. God's holding out on you. And then there's this this fatal progression that leads to sin that that is spelled out so well. It It says of Eve that she saw, she wanted, she took, and she gave. It's a progression that leads to every single sin. Everyone I've ever committed, everyone you ever have, she saw. First, she, she saw something. She, she had something in front of her that she put her gaze upon, and she understood it was something God said to avoid, not to do. But she didn't avert her gaze and look to the truth that God said. She continued to gaze at it, began to think, this looks really attractive. This is really good. She saw it. And she began to see how good it looked. Ignoring what God had said, she began to want it. And after she wanted it for a while, she simply took it. She simply committed the sin. And then in her case, then, she extended it by giving it. She gave it to Adam, as we so often do when we sin. We include someone else. We draw someone else into the net of sin as well. Same for all of us. The only clear way to stop the progression to sin is this, is, is the moment the moment something that God says is sin catches my eye or your eye we have to divert our gaze from it and look to God and the truth he's already spoken. And look to the truth that he's not holding out on us. He is not holding out on us. If we, if we see something that God has said is sin, we continue to gaze at it, we'll find some ways it looks really attractive, and it probably will. If we look long enough, we'll want it. As we want it, it's going to be really hard not to take it. And then, as the progression often goes, maybe even spread it to somebody else. That's that's the progression that follows. That's what what Eve did. If you look at Joshua chapter 7, verse 21, there's this critical time in in the history of the Jewish people. They have come out of slavery of of Egypt. They've crossed the sea. They've gone through the uh, wilderness for 40 years. They finally are entering the land flowing with milk and honey. They're finally entering it. They've made the first big step into a huge success there's this guy named Achan that commits what seems to be one small sin. You know what it says? When he finally confesses, he says, I saw, I wanted, and I took. And it cost him and his family their lives. That, that's the progression. That's the progression that Eve that followed right here. And, and it seemed like such a small thing, didn't it? Such a small sin. You, you think about it. What was, what was he doing? There's just... There's this piece of fruit here in the garden, and, and all she does, and there are probably thousands or tens of thousands of trees. This is the only one, but all she does is she picks it and eats it and shares it with her husband, and but it wasn't really the fruit and picking it was, that was a problem, was it? What she and Adam did was they decided that they would no longer put themselves under the leadership of God, didn't they? until that point, whatever God said, they did. They trusted him. But at this point, they've looked at this and they've said, God's holding out. And and they decided from this day forward, we're not going to put ourselves under the leadership of God. We're going to be God ourselves. We're going to be God ourselves. They didn't become atheists, did they? They didn't become atheists. They they knew there was a God. They knew that. They knew who he was. He just wasn't going to be their God anymore. They were going to be God. The same is true of every human being when we decide to say to God, You know, God, I, I, I might even be willing to listen to you, God. I might even be willing to read your word. I'll, I'll be all attuned. And, and God, I'm going to do, do my best job to be really fair about this, and I'll judge. I'll judge all you tell me to do. And I'll pick and choose the ones I think are good and the ones I don't. I'll pick and choose. The relationship in that is, God, you're going to be a great advisor to me. Yeah, I'll look, I'll listen, I'll pay attention, but in the end, I decide. And God never enters into the relationship being an advisor. There's no relationship. it just is none. He never is the advisor. He's either God, there's no relationship at all. That, that, was, that was what began here. That was the gravity of the sin here. It seemed like such a small thing But it begins this ripple that grow into this tsunami and even began so quickly in their lives. I've already touched upon part of it. Let me just rapidly roll down what happened to them. In verse 7, it talks about they felt shame for the first time. Never in their lives until then they felt shame for the first time. Then they began hiding from God. Verse 8, which is impossible to do, but they were trying anyway to hide from God for the first time. The relationship with God is badly damaged. They begin to blame for the first time in verses 12 and 13. And, and Adam, this is fascinating. It would be just like me. Maybe just like you. First, when he, he's uh, accused of this sin, first he, he blames wife, his wife, blames Eve. He says it was her. But you know where he goes from that? He actually blames God. He said, it was was the woman you gave me. He's saying, God, this sin is your fault. God, you caused it. Can you believe that? Blaming God, it's the woman you gave me. And Eve is smarter than he is, so she doesn't go that far. But she says, it's the serpent. It's not really my fault. It's the serpent's fault. They begin to blame. And then Adam and Eve's oneness is destroyed by conflict. No longer one. Conflict is the breath of their marriage now. Life becomes hard. For Eve, verse 16, becomes pain in childbirth. What should be one of the most, if not the most, most joyful times in a woman's life, childbirth, now becomes extremely painful. Part of the fallout of the fall. For Adam, work becomes this horrific struggle to provide food. What should be so satisfying for a man to be a provider now becomes extremely difficult, excruciatingly hard now, verses 17 through 19. And then death is introduced, the clock has begun ticking on their expiration date, toward their expiration date, verse 19. Death is introduced, they're going to die now. And then they're banished from Eden, verses 23 and 24. And then the ripple grows. Within one generation, one of their own sons would kill another of their sons. It grows to murder. And it goes on and on. It's not just the ripple effect of, of people hurting people. There's this spiritual connection to the relational connection to the physical connection. In God's universe, it's all so intricately woven together in this creation of his. It says in Romans 8, verses 20 and 22, it says, Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it would join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay, which now is the plight of creation itself. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The spiritual wreckage brought about, relational wreckage brought about physical wreckage in creation as well. In in Eden, there were no hurricanes, there were no tornadoes, there were no tsunamis in Eden. In fact, there was no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, no death. There was none of that, but with this one sin becomes this ripple effect that becomes this tsunami that begins to break everything. The result of Adam and Eve's sin, which seems so small and insignificant, it's not only man's horrific inhumanity to man, it includes every natural disaster that's ever occurred. Hurricane Harvey, just 11 months ago, we, it came up quickly. We know of it hitting down in the Port Aransas, Rockport area. hit hard there, did devastating damage there, lives lost there. We know it moved up the coast, it stalled here. We know it had it had historical rainfall and flooding here. We know that 93 people died from that hurricane. Loss of property is valued at $125 billion, including many of you who lost your homes. Some of you not even back in your homes yet. There are no hurricanes in Eden. A little farther back, 2005, Hurricane Katrina New Orleans, many of you are old enough to remember that, over 1,800 people lost their lives. One of America's major cities still has not fully recovered in 13 years, and some people say it never will from that storm. Farther back, 1900s is right down the road. Galveston hurricane killed 6,000 people in the city, 10,000 on the island. Wichita Falls, 1979, tornado hits. I remember it. I had friends there, killed 42 people, injured over 1,720,000 left homeless. There were no tornadoes in Eden. Never intended to be on this planet. San Francisco, 1906, earthquake kills over 3,000 people. More currently, 1994, Northridge, California, earthquake kills 60 people. 2004, a literal tsunami hits both Southeast Asia, East Africa, so far apart, which killed over 170,000 people in, Tuni- in Indonesia alone. And estimates are another 60 to 80,000 more than that, maybe a quarter million people. There were no tsunamis in Eden. There were never intended to be. And you add to this man's inhumanity to man, the anger, the hate, the gossip, the betrayal, the theft, the murder, the wars. World War II alone, fifty to eighty million people killed. It's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. This is this is the magnitude of the tsunami this, this one seemingly insignificant sin has wrought. All pain, all sorrow, all suffering, all death is a result of it. All of it is a result of this one. Seemingly insignificant sin. This third theme of the fall, it's dark, isn't it? It's demoralizing, discouraging. I found myself thinking yesterday, so what do I say now? Like, go and be well. Pray, have a great afternoon. Then I got to thinking, wait, 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 wait. This is in the middle of Genesis 1 through 3. This is in the middle of four great stories. And the first one was this story about creation, and God was the main player there. He was the major player there. In that first story of creation, it's all good. Everything is good. There's perfection in in this this one big theme of creation. God's the major player. And then there's a second theme that unfolds of Adam and Eve. He creates human being. God is, again, the major player of that theme, and it's perfection it's paradise. It's absolutely paradise. And then there's this third theme of the fall, and now God is no longer the major, major player. We are the major player. In all that Scripture's doing, it's just describing, we've, we've just caused all kinds of wreckage. I mean, God did good. God did good, and we can't avoid this chapter. We, I, you, humanity, I'm as guilty as Adam and Eve. I've all, I told Marie, if, you know, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, uh, and no one had up to this point in time, like everyone had been in the garden for all these years, I would have been the one to do it. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've all done it. I mean, we've all caused the wreckage. This, this thing, it's dark, it's discouraging. You see, on our own, like we have no way out of sin, that's just our life. On our own, there's no way back to Eden, that's just our life. But there's a fourth major theme. It's right here in Genesis chapter 3 as well. We're going to go there next week in detail in this fourth theme. But it, it's a theme where God's a major player again. Thank goodness God's a major player against the theme of grace. God provides a way out of sin. He provides a way back to Eden. And to give you a, the 60-second summary... It's to the grace is most represented through his son, Jesus. It's poured out when Jesus dies on a cross and rises from the dead and offers that anyone who will come to him, surrender leadership of their life to him, he will forgive all their sins and give them a new life. He'll give them this way, this, this pathway that, that begins to abandon sin, one day totally abandon, give this pathway back to Eden and someday live there in the final Eden. This final, final great theme that opens the Bible in the first three chapters is the theme of grace. That's where we're going next week. A lot of you know that. A lot of you have, have bowed before Jesus and said, my life is yours. And you know, you know his grace. You're swimming in his grace. You know that. Some of you here don't know that yet. But even today, you don't have to know any more than I've said. Even today, you could say to Jesus, I, I bow at your feet and I surrender leadership to you. And you've stepped into the fourth theme. You begin to find your way out of sin. Your way out of this wreckage and back into the garden itself. Then, To find your way back. But, but I don't want to leave where we've been now. There, there's so much gain in what we've talked about today already. Hey, we can't avoid. There's, there's this third theme of the fall. We're all part of it. We've talked about the fallout of it. So let me, let me give us three takeaways if I can. Three takeaways, In in all of them, remember grace. What you know about grace, what you'll come back and learn about grace, but here are these three takeaways from from this part of the fall. The mother of all lies is that God is holding out on us. That is the mother of all lies is God is holding out on us. When I believe that, then I will go away from God and I'll do whatever I want. We've got to get this one right. We have to nail this one. We have to know this. This is, this is the, the mother of all lies. God is for us. He created us. He made us. He loves us. He cares for us. Everything he does, everything he provides, every direction he gives is good. This is the mother of all lies. Second is this. We don't intuitively recognize sin. We have to search God's word to identify it. We don't intuitively recognize sin. We have to search God's word to identify it. So, so we don't dare think that because we have a bunch of life experience and we've lived a long time that on our own we intuitively recognize sin. Because we don't. We simply don't. We're at great risk if we think that. So we have to search God's word. He, he spells it all out. It's crystal clear. We have to search His word, and that's where He tells us. That's where He tells us. There's this one tree, looks really good. Fruit looks delicious. Don't touch it. It kills. And then finally, there is no small sin, is there? There's no small sin. All sin damages more than we can comprehend. So keep those in mind. And again, as you keep those in mind, see where God wants to take you with that. The things that's been said, the things that we've read, things that we've been taught today. Ask God what He wants to speak into your heart and life. What does He want you to, to take and know and do with this? And as you think and process, keep keep this coming grace keep it in your thoughts as you wrestle with the fall as well so let me pray for us Father in heaven I know there are are a lot of folks here that have embraced the grace of Jesus and and they're finding the way to live a life abandoning sin that damages and they know that the, the place that they're headed to is it's the final Eden it's paradise it's heaven they know that but, Father, for all of us in that position, help us, help us take away from this chapter, from this teaching on the fall, help us take away, help us grow from it. Help us be better off for it. Help us not too quickly leave what's uncomfortable and dark. Help us learn from it. Father, ones that have never yet bowed to Jesus and begun to live in grace, help them recognize their fallenness Help them recognize the wreckage and damage that others have caused and they themselves have caused. Help them be aware of that, but help them recognize that you extend grace through your son, Jesus. They'll learn a lot more about it next week, but even now, Father, I'm praying that, uh, that there's one here that would say, Jesus, I recognize I've caused wreckage and, and I want to find grace. I need grace. I bow at your feet. Would you take leadership of my life? you become God of my life and I'm yours and God in that moment they too can begin to live in and breathe in grace I pray in Jesus name amen